Hello to you and welcome to the weekend edition of Coin Market Recap. I'm Connor Sefton with Coin Market Caps, easy to understand roundup of this week's biggest crypto headlines. And if you can hear hiccuping in the background, that's Molly Jane Zuckerman. Hello, Molly Jane. Hello. Hello. Molly Jane will be joining us as we discuss plenty of stories, including a second country adopting Bitcoin as legal tender, but it appears to have taken many crypto enthusiasts by surprise. We'll also cover the latest twists and turns in the drama surrounding Elon Musk's $44 billion deal to buy Twitter. And we'll talk about this week's big news about Zcash as the true identity of the anonymous co-founder known only as John Dobbertin is revealed. Give our show a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And why not follow us on Twitter too, at Connor Sefton and at Molly J. Zuckerman. This week's Crypto Headlines. So how's your week been? Good. I want to clarify that I'm not hiccuping because I'm intoxicated. I'm hiccuping because <laughs> I'm having a sparkling water. <laughs> is, is hiccuping Just... a common thing associated with being intoxicated? Like if someone's hiccuping, I don't automatically assume they're drunk. Yes. It is. So you you just implied to the world that I've been drinking at 8 in the I morning. I did not. Um, I did not. I mean, although, come to think of it, in many films where you see people who are like sloshing about, they do a bit of hiccuping, don't they? Yeah, so. Well, well this, is my, this is my revenge. You implied to the world I'm short, so I'm going to imply to the world <laughs> that you're a lush. <laughs> Three martinis, Molly. Shot before the record button is hit. <laughs> Never. I would never. Of course you wouldn't. Well, El Salvador <laughs> was the first country in the world to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender last September. And now, Molly Jane, they've been joined by a second country, haven't they? They have. They've been joined by the Central African Republic. Indeed. Now, the Central African Republic is one of the world's poorest countries. It's got a population of 4.8 million people and just 11% have access to the internet. Only 14% have access to electricity and less than half have a mobile phone connection. Now, Bitcoin, Molly Jane, may very well be legal tender in the CAR now. Its Wikipedia page has been updated to say Bitcoin's an official currency. Is anybody going to be able to use it? I'm not quite sure. I mean, El Salvador is also not the richest country in the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that they did accept Bitcoin as legal tender is to try to get more money into people's hands because if you have a mobile phone, you can have a Bitcoin wallet without necessarily having to open a bank account, as we all know, obviously. The questions that I have about Bitcoin use in the Central African Republic is, is the reason that this wasn't reported on and covered and sort of shouted around like El Salvador was because nobody thinks it means anything, that it's an empty gesture? Or is it because people thought it was fake news? I don't know. I, did you think it was fake news when you saw it? I personally just think that the announcement was pretty botched. I mean, if you remember with El Salvador, the first we heard of it was Nayib Bukele on stage at Bitcoin 2021, declaring to the world that this was going to happen. But with this announcement, it was really weirdly done because back on Tuesday, the Central African Republic's finance minister, Herve Nadoba, said the country was creating a legal framework to regulate the use of cryptocurrencies. And he said that 
this law was designed to ensure people could use crypto as a payment method, but he said that the government wasn't attempting to follow the lead of El Salvador. But at the same time, a press release from the president's office, which turned out to be true, said Bitcoin was becoming an official currency. And it wasn't on their official website. It was really hard to find local media outlets that were reporting on it. So many media outlets, including ourselves, couldn't really get to the bottom of whether this was real or not. And it was only when the AFP news agency, which has got quite a presence in Africa, because, of course, the Central African Republic's French speaking, they they bottomed it out. They got confirmation from the president's office and everyone knew. So... Yeah, it was a really weird one. And to compound the problem as well, you know, there's been murmurings that the CAR had accepted Bitcoin as legal tender for some time, for over a week now. So it's just, it was a slow burn, this announcement. Well, (laughs) as someone that occasionally has to put on her PR hat, I know this is exactly what you should not do (laughs) when you're Mm. announcing something incredibly huge, because this actually is kind of a big deal. You know, a year ago, A little more than a year ago, Bitcoin was a decentralized currency used by internet people. And now it is already legal tender in two countries. Mm. Yeah. That's a a big step. Yeah, the amount of countries where it's accepted as legal tender has now gone up by 100%. (laughs) Which is something, isn't it? And, you know, all this means now that Bitcoin's been elevated to the same status as the Central African CFA franc. That's used by six countries in Africa, and it's pegged to the euro. Now, I've seen several crypto enthusiasts this week openly ponder about whether these other countries will want to adopt Bitcoin as well. I mean, we all know after Samson Mao's announcement during Bitcoin 2022 that other countries are looking. For Mm. sure they're looking. But his announcement wasn't that huge bang like Nayib Bukele's was because he's not a pre- he's not a president and there was no actual legislation passed. So I'm not sure. I do think it will be interesting and I hope the media doesn't forget about the Central African Republic um, mm-hmm. to see how Bitcoin is actually being used there. With the statistics you started off with, yeah. I think it's going to be hard to track if yeah. less than half of the country even has a mobile phone. Um, I wonder if they're going to have a sort of in-country wallet, like the Chivo wallet. I haven't heard anything mm. about that yet. I think this is a bit of a wait-and-see thing, but oh, in a dream world, wouldn't it be amazing just to be sent there to travel mm. the country and uh, talk to people about Bitcoin and see if they're using it or not? Not promote Bitcoin, just truly see if anyone understands what their government just did. Yeah, I mean, Chainalysis doesn't even have any data on cryptocurrency use in the Central African Republic, which doesn't really help matters. And there was a Reuters um, analysis piece, which actually spoke to some people in the country. There was a guy who runs a timber company in the capital, and he simply said, Bitcoin, what is it? What can Bitcoin bring to our country? And these will be questions not just in the Central African Republic, but in every country that needs to be answered. People will be looking at this and going, all right, why? Why Mm -hmm. accept Bitcoin? Why? CoinMarketCap allows users to predict the next country that will make Bitcoin legal tender. 
Not many people had the Central African Republic on their list, did they? I noticed that it's creeped up in the past few days, which is just people <laughs> seeing that it's been accepted and then going, I predict this will be next. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a really silly part of our site, you know. Next is Paraguay and then mm. Venezuela. So those both mm. have over half a million votes. Uh, Central African Republic has 30,000, which puts it in 11th in the predictions. But I'm not sure what that was a few days ago, because this news has not really been updated. You know, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking it up right now. And you see that people are really only re reporting at Quartz BBC yesterday, Quartz four hours mm. ago. You know, we reported this uh, first <laughs> Mm. more than more than more than a few other mainstream uh, media outlets so people are still understanding that it's true um i guess get on our site and vote i'm not sure what it gives you but uh yeah vote and predict which country already has adopted bitcoin as legal tender uh if you want <laughs> now the finance minister molly jane also told bloomberg that Sub-Saharan African countries are often seen as being one step behind when it comes to adapting to new technology. But this time, the CAR is one step ahead. But just like it did with El Salvador, the International Monetary Funds warned that it isn't a good idea. And one local IMF official said it's really important to not see Bitcoin as some sort of panacea for economic challenges that countries in Africa face. Is the IMF right? The IMF is right in that you should not rely on a currency whose price changes by 5, 10%, 20% each week to support your country moving into the future. On the other hand, Bitcoin is a gamble. Having money in Bitcoin is a gamble. And if your country is looking for that sort of desperate thing to lift itself out of some sort of situation and your president and your government are willing to take a gamble, then um, Bitcoin would make sense for them. <laughs> Notice mm. I'm not saying that is good or bad. I'm trying to stay neutral. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a fair gamble. point you make because it is a gamble, but many countries, some countries might be feeling desperate because they're seeing high levels of inflation with the currencies they use and doing something this radical might be seen as in some cases like you know the least worst option or even their only option in some cases but i think at this point it is worth getting a bit of a health check on how things are going in El Salvador. And a report this week by the US National Bureau for Economic Research didn't paint a pretty picture. Now, if you remember, President Bekele launched the Chivo wallet, which Molly Jane was talking about, and it allowed every Salvadoran citizen to receive $30 in free Bitcoin. But a survey suggests just 40% of those who installed Chivo have actually continued to use it after spending this Bitcoin reward. And worse still, this survey claims just 20% of businesses in the country accept crypto as a means of payment. And 88% of Salvadoran companies that have received Bitcoin converted it into dollars anyway. Molly Jane, do you think that El Salvador's Bitcoin law has been a bit of a disaster? Or do you think we should be a bit more patient because Bitcoin's only been legal tender for eight months now? 
I think we should be a lot more patient, especially, oh my gosh, see the hiccups are coming. (laughs) I think we should be a lot more patient, especially because the Chiva wallet rollout had a lot of technical problems with the wallet and the wallet had to be repaired. And so that definitely set the Mm -hmm. country back by weeks, if not months as well in their, in their rollout. So Mm -hmm. it's, Mm -hmm. you know, whenever there are national campaigns for people to change their way of life in some sort of way, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, I'm thinking, I think because I'm just staring out a window at a beautiful forest. If you were like in America, there's the Smokey the Bear, don't start wildfires. You know, those signs were everywhere and it really trained Americans not to just go out into the forest and build their own campgrounds and, and you know, have poor fire safety. So my point is that El Salvador really has... Uh, a responsibility if they want this to work of getting the message out to people in a sort of determined, concentrated, widespread campaign about how to use this currency. And I don't think eight months is enough to tell whether it worked or it didn't work. That is an amazing analogy. Thank you. It's <laughs> a wild analogy. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the thing is, though, I imagine that there's going to be some Bitcoiners who go, it's a report from Washington. Of course, they'll paint a bad picture of Bitcoin. But, you know, to be fair to the people who did this report, they did carry out face-to-face surveys with 1,800 households. 1,800 households is a lot. I say wait and say so much on this podcast. I think we should still wait and see a little bit longer. I'm not saying it's a success. I'm not saying, oh, it's a great success. Everyone's wrong. I'm just saying, let's give them a little more time, maybe a full year, maybe two years, you know? How long did it take for countries to change from trading in gold to handing each other paper bills? How long was that transition? Ah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I'll allow. I'll allow. It was a real question. What if it was one day? (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Um, All right. Moving on now, then. Let's talk about Elon Musk. As I'm sure you'll know the world's richest man has dived down the back of the sofa and found the $44 billion he needs to buy Twitter. And he's now reached a deal to buy the social network as well. Molly Jane, he's he's tweeting some really crazy stuff, isn't he? Oh, he's tweeting some very crazy things. I mean, I definitely think that he's feeding off of the memes that are circulating. You know, a lot of people are tweeting, Mm. oh, I'm the CEO of Twitter now. Oh, you know, this and that. But Musk is also contributing. You know, he tweeted that he will now be putting the cocaine back in Coca-Cola. Yeah. Let's make Twitter maximum fun. That's one I saw. That was an incredibly strange one to me. And then note that all Mm. of this is happening in between tweets about SpaceX and Tesla and their accomplishments or retweets from senior engineers or senior people at these two other companies where that he also owns. And I think the intention there is to show he can do it all. He's actively yeah. participating yeah, in those two country and those two companies. Twitter will just be just another one and he can definitely handle it. Uh, the one mm. comparison, although you've just heard my crazy analogy, um, this is like actually a, a more relevant one is that apparently, and please correct me if I'm wrong on this. A few years ago, Elon Musk sort of asked in general what it would cost to end world hunger. And the UN, I believe, drafted a plan that would 
you know, it would cost $6 billion and you'd spend it in these ways. And then he said, never mind. And then now he spent $44 billion on Twitter. Is that a fair comparison for me to make? Mm. Apparently, that's not quite true because according to an SEC filing, Musk sold 5 million shares worth about $5.74 billion in November and gave the money to charity. But the recipient was anonymous. Wait, the recipient, like the charity was anonymous? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know what happened there. It's a lot of question marks over that, isn't there? I'm just saying that I think there are better things to spend your money on. However, it seems like he has chosen this. I'm not his financial advisor, so I cannot stop him (laughs) from going forward with Mm. this. And I will say that as someone that works in media, I am sort of excited in a like a twisted way for all of the stories this is going to keep bringing <laughs> well i mean it's it's brought a fair amount of stories already this week i mean some of his other tweets included um that he wants donald trump's social network truth social to be renamed trumpet yes <laughs> I, like. I did i did see that. um and he also suggested that direct messages on twitter should have end-to-end encryption like Signal does, so no one can spy or hack messages. Now, he's also said that if Twitter's going to deserve public trust, it's got to be politically neutral. And in his view, this means upsetting the far right and the far left equally. Hundreds of thousands of Twitter accounts have been deactivated since his takeover has been announced. And while many accounts have lost followers, it's right-wing politicians like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Ted Cruz who've seen their followers grow. Now, I take his point about being politically neutral, but this whole free speech crusade generally is more of a talking point on the right of politics, isn't it? So trying to be as neutral as possible while looking at this uh, quote-unquote free speech issue on Twitter, from what I've seen in my perspective, is that the right-wing Twitter influencers, uh, tweeters that have seen their followings and sort of diminished or their voice shut down, it's because they were actively either promoting violence or or hate speech. So... Mm-hmm. That's the part that's like this the sticking point for me is when Musk says I want to offend equally the left and the right. I'm all about offending both sides equally. That's totally fine with me. But what I've seen is that the right side it's not so much that they're saying things that are offensive, it's that they're saying things that incite violence and that is where free speech kind of mm. doesn't come into play as much. That's just my perspective. That has nothing yeah. to do with crypto. That's a fair perspective. And this is the thing that's a bit problematic because some of Elon Musk's tweets this week have been targeting Twitter's staff, including the social network's top lawyer, Vijaya Gaddi. And Musk posted a tweet about left-wing bias that featured a photo of her. And she ended up receiving this barrage of abuse, including racist slurs. Now, you know... Free speech, yes, but if, if this is a vision of what Elon Musk's Twitter is going to look like, it's just going to result in people receiving an avalanche of abuse. And as far as I can tell, even before Elon Musk got involved in Twitter, abuse has been a big problem. I don't think he's even addressed that once. No. I might be wrong. Well, he's talked about stopping the spammers and the spam bots, which I think is where abuse in some sense lies. That- Nah, I don't think so. Um, 
the the spam the spam is just about like dodgy links to giveaway scams that's not about being racist or sexist or misogynistic or giving people death threats that's not what the bots are doing in my opinion yeah i mean i guess there are very specific death threat bots but that's not really what we're seeing every day in the crypto space and it's not what the majority Mm. of the world is seeing either um Mm -hmm. i yeah i don't know i mean i've said it again before is that musk did something pretty crazy with tesla you know electric cars were not a thing they were around but they were not affordable they were not is usable and he made that happen and now when i'm in los angeles i see teslas on every single street corner every third car is a tesla i have some sort of faith that he will make an effort to stop the spam bot problem in some way. That's the, that's the one thing I see good coming out of this. Do I think he'll actually prevent that sort of abuse? I think that he could actually end up making it worse with his insistence on free mm. speech because of the way that that is understood by the people that are the ones leaving those abusive comments. There's no question that Elon Musk, uh, I mean, he's obviously a very gifted entrepreneur. That's not what I'm saying. I'm sure it's not what you're saying. But the point we're making is Twitter even before Elon Musk even expressed an interest in this social network, was already, at times, a pretty toxic website. And I don't know, I'm just, in my opinion, the direction of travel here probably lends itself to a greater amount of toxicity. I mean, you know, I, I've, I've read a lot of think pieces about this, and it, it a lot of them said that there have been many prominent people that have quit Twitter due to the toxic nature, but most of them have always come back because it really is sometimes just the best platform for getting your point across. So I'm curious to see what he'll do with it. I mean, the deal is not going to be finalized until the end of the year. If it's finalized. I mean, (laughs) he's using his Tesla stock to help fund the deal and Tesla saw $126 billion wiped off its company's valuation in a single day this week. So that might mean that the option to use Tesla stock for the financing could be taken out of his hands if it carries on going the way it was going. Well, see, he did just have a tweet right now um, that just says, the far left hates everyone, themselves included. (laughs) Well, it's interesting that he has actually sold 4.4 million Tesla shares earlier this week, $4 billion worth. He stressed that no further sales were planned. And even though a judge has said that he's got to carry on complying with this SEC ruling that was made in 2018, which states that any Tesla-related tweets need to be reviewed by a Tesla lawyer, he still seems to be tweeting about... uh, Tesla-related stuff quite freely because he's just said that no further sales were planned. I'm not entirely sure that the lawyers would have been happy with him tweeting that. I think he's already proven that he does not listen to what any lawyer says about anything he should be tweeting. Well, last but not least, an unusual story surrounding Zcash. Now, in case you're unfamiliar, Zcash bills itself as a privacy coin that's designed to ensure transactions remain anonymous. Six people were involved in something called the ceremony that led to Zcash being created. And while five of their identities have been known for some time, the sixth one wasn't known until now. So, who are you? Can you confirm that you are John Daubertin and that you participated in the Zcash ceremony? And can you tell us why you participated? (laughs) Okay, there's a lot there, but... uh... 
My name is Edward Snowden. I participated in the Zcash uh, original ceremony uh, under the pseudonym John Doberton. Uh, the reason that I did that was uh, I, I saw it being worked on by a number of uh, trusted academic cryptographers. And I thought it was a very interesting project because um, when we look at uh, cryptocurrencies in general, uh, we generally see the cryptographic properties of it uh, being used to make sure it's a fair ledger, uh, but not that it's been used to uh, ensure that it's a private ledger. Uh, Bitcoin, quite famously, is an open ledger. Uh, the problem with that is you can't have truly uh, free trade uh, unless you have private trade. So that's a clip from a new documentary, which <laughs> documents, <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> writing for me, <laughs> the creation of Zcash. And there you have it. Edward Snowden is the man who was known pseudonymously as John Doberton. Now, if the name sounds familiar, Snowden's best known for being a whistleblower at the National Security Agency. He leaked thousands of classified documents that revealed how the US was spying on its own citizens. My first question, Molly Jane, what sort of a name is John Doberton? Uh, a fake one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I know, but you could create any name you want. Like John Doberton, like, what is that? It's silly. It's like he just reached in a hat and uh, picked out a name. Doberton. I just I don't understand it. Um, now, Zcash was created in 2016, but Snowden actually fled the US back in 2013 after he was granted asylum in Russia. Now, in hindsight, given his involvement in the debate around internet surveillance, it's kind of unsurprising he was involved in establishing a privacy coin, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I actually never thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so my notes on this are, this is so weird. <laughs> and I forgot that Zcash existed. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Zcash has kind of gone off the boil, hasn't it? It isn't really one of the more popular cryptocurrencies. It's 51st in CoinMarketCap's rankings. And I remember um, writing an article about Zcash back in 2020, and it kind of helped explain why Monero is a more popular privacy mm. coin, because a university study at the time said that just 0.1% of Zcash transactions over a 30-day period were untraceable, which isn't high. Uh, and although the cryptography Zcash uses is pretty solid, the problem is users need to opt in to a shielded pool that obfuscates information about a transaction. And by contrast, it's much harder to trace Monero transactions because a single use address is generated every time a transaction's made. And there's ring signatures that add decoys to reduce further traceability. Which came first? I think Monero came first, correct? Monero mm. came first. That launched in 2014. So Monero by country mile came first. Monero is definitely more popular. So much so that I read recently ransomware groups increasingly want to be paid in Monero. And now some actually charge a premium of 20% for victims who actually want to pay in Bitcoin. Very interesting. Mm. This whole story is interesting. It's just that there are a lot of anonymous people out there in the crypto space. We've talked before about how you think it's a problem. I don't think it's as much of a problem. Some of them have been doxxed. Some of them continue to hide behind their, you know, anime Twitter uh, profile pictures. Mm. 
people have obviously been searching for Satoshi Nakamoto for years and years and years. I don't ever remember people being incredibly fascinated by the sixth person in Zcash, which is why <laughs> it's just kind of tickles my fancy that not only was he de-anonymized himself, not in any investigation, but by himself, but that it was Edward Snowden. It's just such an interesting story this week. Tickles my fancy. you just been on like a jaunt to the UK or something. You're going to take part in high tea now. <laughs> just tickles my fancy. I see. <laughs> but, but, you know, there were some conditions to Edward Snowden going public. This was a documentary for Zcash Media. Um, he wanted it to be clear he was never paid for his work and also that he had no stake in the project. Uh, that clip I just played there, he was talking about the ceremony. How did this work? Can you explain this or do you want me to do I want, it? I want you to explain <laughs> it. It's, uh, uh, yeah. Thanks. So in essence, there were six participants chosen to take part. They're all in different geographies. And each of them had the task of generating a shard of a public private key set. And they didn't know each other. And their public key shards were later combined and their private keys were destroyed. So this ensured that it wouldn't be possible for unlimited amounts of counterfeit Zcash to end up being created. How's that? Yeah, that makes sense. I got it. Yeah. Understood. Yeah. Um, I do remember just going back to Monero that the Internal Revenue Service were offering, I think, to pay up to $625,000 in cash for anyone who could crack Monero. And the fact that there's been a bit of silence since does suggest no one succeeded, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's true. Mm. I mean, there, there have been lots of debates on privacy coins for a long time. Mm. This is just, I think, throwing them back into the into the forefront again. Yeah, there was a quote, actually, that really jumped out at me from Edward Snowden, because he also did briefly talk about Bitcoin in this interview. And he criticized it. He said he called Bitcoin's privacy an open disaster that everyone's aware of. And he said that despite his exchanges with core developers who were aware of the issue, privacy improvements are moving slowly. What do you think of that? Well, Bitcoin also never claimed to be a privacy coin. So that's an interesting... Mm. He can have that point for sure. Yeah. He can definitely have that point. I would probably even agree with him. But... I'm not using Bitcoin to be a privacy coin. So that's not my personal yeah. argument against it. But if Bitcoin wasn't designed to be a privacy coin, how can its lack of privacy being an open disaster? I don't understand that bit. People just sometimes see what they want to see. And he saw Bitcoin as a privacy coin. When it wasn't, he got mad. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, mm. ask him to read the white paper one more time and see if it talks about privacy. Maybe I should actually. Maybe I'm missing something. Well, that's our weekend reading, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. Ah, it is indeed. And that is it for this weekend's Coin Market Recap. Please do leave us a review if you like what you hear. You can keep up to date with all the latest crypto news and much more at coinmarketcap.com forward slash Alexandria. Molly Jane Zuckerman, thanks so much for joining us on this magical journey through the week's top stories. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you very much. I'm Connor Sefton. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. See you Monday.